Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Wednesday, April 4th, 2012, and our special guest is Howard Reingold to talk about his new book, NetSmart. Howard, thanks so much for being here again. I'm not hearing your audio, Howard, if you are. Indeed a pleasure talking. to talk to you and your folks. You're my people. Thank you. <laughs> We're <laughs> glad to be Howard's people. Well, well my intention is, is to talk uh, to a lot of different people about this, which I, I, I'm doing, and it's and it's pleasant to talk to an audience that's already pretty clueful. I'm well, I hope we are clueful, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, I'm sure that we'll become increasingly so as the event goes on. Future of Education is a Web 2.0 Labs project. Thanks to Blackboard Collaborate for providing this room. We are celebrating the fifth anniversary of Classroom 2.0 with a number of really fun activities, and one of which is uh, Ed Incubator. Our first Ed Incubator group is the PBS NewsHour, getting feedback from teachers on their projects. We also have a book project, the Classroom 2.0 crowdsourced book. We've been getting incredible submissions. If you're interested in contributing, and you can, you can be a first-time contributor in any way that you would like to think of. Come to classroom20.com and click on the book, and you'll find more information. Also coming up uh, at ISTE, we have ISTE Unplugged, which is our set of, sort of crowdsourced shadow activities around the ISTE conference. It starts with an all-day unconference on Saturday that used to be called EduBloggerCon, is now called Social EdCon. It's really a blast. It is free to attend. Uh, you don't even need to be attending ISTE to come to Social EdCon, but then through the rest of the conference we have all kinds of fun activities, including a place for those who didn't get accepted to present to actually present to a live audience and streamed. So do come to isteunplugged.com to find out more. Coming up on April 21st is our first ever Social Learning Summit. This is a terrific opportunity uh, sponsored by Discovery Education. We are crowdsourcing uh, sessions, half-hour sessions, on the use of social media and Web 2.0 in education. Go to sociallearningsummit.com. We still have a few more days while we're accepting proposals. We have just an incredible lineup of teachers and educators and others who are presenting on all kinds of really great topics. It will be free Saturday, April 21st. Please do join us. Our second library, Future of Libraries conference is October 3rd through 5th. Go to libraries 2.012, or sorry, library2012.com or library20.com to find out more. And then our third global, ed, global education conference will be the 12th to 16th of November. That's at globaledcon.com. Uh, also coming up without date yet, but committed are a gaming and education virtual conference and an alternative education conference. We're really having fun planning these events. Hope you enjoy them. Coming up on the Future of Education tomorrow, Joseph Granny, one of the co-authors of uh, Crucial Conversations, Crucial Conventations, um, Influencer, and Change Anything, is going to come talk about the work that they've done on social learning uh, as it relates uh, to connections with education. Really, really interesting material. We had one of his compatriots come on and talk about humanitarian work some months back and education projects. On April 10th, Jennifer Fox talks about uh, the problems with traditional content. Mark Tucker is going to talk about the OECD work and comparing countries and surpassing Shanghai. Bound to be interesting, that one. Uh, Tracy Willendog-Genty is going to talk about Society 3.0. John Hunter on his World Peace 
and other fourth grade achievements. You can see a really fun schedule of people coming up, hopefully something that you'll want to join us for. If you've missed the show, they are all recorded. Uh, we heard last week from Dick Gale on positive deviance and um, other really interesting activities coming out of the uh, California Teachers Association Institute for Teaching, I think it's called. Alec Koros talked to us before that about social learning. David Warlick had just a great conversation with him. Kathy Davidson on her new book. Anyway, plots up there. Please hope that you'll, I, I hope you'll find something worthwhile there. Okay, so I'm going to give you permissions to modify the map. Let me do that. You're looking for some icons to the left of the map. The second icon down, the star, if you double click on it, you can then click on the map. It's also fun to do a shout out in the chat to let us know where you're participating from. Got to be late in Europe, but we do appreciate your attending. New Zealand, Singapore, probably. I haven't looked at the list here. Who's here? Oh, Japan. I, I was a, a little off there, wasn't I? Oh, and Brazil, always a favorite for me. Well, wherever you're participating from, or if you're listening to the recording, we sure do appreciate it. I love this. So, so Howard, at the top of the show, before we were actually started, I told you that this is uh, a book that I plan to go through in great detail with my children, my own children. Um, I think in part what I really loved about this book was the incredible depth. This is more than just kind of a primer for those who are interested in what's right and wrong about the internet. There are some, there's some incredibly deep conversation here and I for one really appreciate um, what you've done with this book. Uh, I don't think, is it actually out yet? It I, is I out. Know I bought it from Amazon so it is out. It is, it, it, it's been shipping for the last two weeks so it's taken a while to get to some places physically but you can now get it shipped from Amazon or you can find it in some bookstores. It's, but we're it gonna takes end a up while. Talking to Tonight about the, we're going to end up talking tonight about the five fundamental literacies. I think in some depth. But before we go there, it felt to me like there were three sort of larger themes to the book, and I want to explore them with you and see if they map to your own sense or if you can kind of guide us to, to a better understanding. One was this kind of combination of uh, individualism and community, and how both are being redefined and how important both are. So good. You want to take these one at a time? Yeah, so sure. So uh, clearly on the individual side, there's this um, shift to for you to mindfulness and personal empowerment and kind of dealing with the new strategies. But there's also this contribution to the commons that seems so important. Boy, you really get this book. I, I can't wait to see what the, the next two themes are. But, you know, I think that's what I have perceived to be the most important and, and powerful axis, that of how am I going to survive, how am I going to do better, and how are we all going to, to do better. 
And you know, from the beginning, from when I started writing about virtual communities in the 1980s, which has excited me, is is not that it's some kind of hive mind in which we lose our individuality, nor that it's it's just a a, a lever for self-promotion. It's a way that people can act in our self-interest in a way that adds up to something for others. And I think that that is a magical power, the way the the alphabet was a, a magical power. We now have the power to multiply uh, the abilities of our individual minds by the collective. And that doesn't mean that we're getting directions from from someone. Collectivism is enforced. But we're all doing this because we're literate. We've learned how to do it. And, and we're doing it with others online. And we're creating stuff together that, that individually empowers us, but also adds up to something big. But also, there's just a strictly pragmatic value proposition when you write a, a book. It's reading a book is a, a big commitment. A person wants to know what they're going to get out of it. And, and I want to make sure that both of those aspects of it get across. This will help you. If you know this, you will do better. You will be happier. But also, here's how we can improve the commons, the digital commons for, for everybody by knowing how to do this stuff. So although I'm accused of being an optimist, I'm actually not. I'm, I'm hopeful. And what hope means is, well, what kind of tools might we use to solve the problems we face, even though they, they may seem insurmountable. And I have to say that the amount of, of crap and not knowing what the heck you're doing online and the people who do know what they're doing and who are attempting and succeeding at manipulating others. That's uh, kind, kind of feels disempowering when you look at all that. So what do you do about it? Well, I think spreading cluefulness is what you do about it. Well, I love that phrase, spreading cluefulness. It, it felt to me like the hope in the book is both a recognition of the potential and the dangers at this moment of time that exists both at the individual and at the community level. Um, it feels like there's an undercurrent of concern in the book. There is an undercurrent of concern. And, and an old friend of mine once accused me of having a template for a Howard Rheingold book, which is, here are these new wonderful powers, but here are the, here are the dangers that are seeking to enclose them. And so maybe that's true, but I, I think it's also part of trying to perceive technology and our own personal uses of technologies, and particularly our, our, our practices with communication media, to look at those things critically and, re and reflectively and not uh, mindlessly. And, and I think that if you do that, it's clear that there are problems that, that social media afford distraction. Maybe you should be looking at and talking to your child instead of your Blackberry. And that's a, a dilemma that we uh, all face uh, these days. And then it, there's just a, well, you can see I, I agree so far. I have to say the last chapter of the book took me to a place that I wasn't expecting at that point, but was really, really powerful me, for me. So there's the potential and danger for the individual. And I think that's sort of a, a territory that we're pretty familiar with. That last chapter said to me, there's a sense of urgency here that we may already have lost some fights 
with regard to uh, privacy and motives and information. So we really have to band together to start using these tools thoughtfully to combat what are going to be sort of natural commercial and government interests to co-opt the technologies. Absolutely. I'm, I'm considered an optimist because I, I advocate for individual knowledge and collective action by all of the people who use and benefit from this medium on the assumption that the, the big uh, government and, and corporate forces that are seeking to enclose it through many different uh, political and, and technical means that I, I'm assuming that they haven't already won. And today I was looking back through some things I wrote back in the 1990s. I had a syndicated column called Tomorrow that was about the future. And I ranted and, and raved in 1994 and 1995 about giving our privacy away. In, in the book, you'll see at the last chapter, I say that it's really hard to put something in a paper published book about the latest thing you have to do about Facebook. But you can be sure that they will change the, they will move the, the boundaries of privacy without asking you. And the default where you have to go change those privacy settings will, will be buried in your, your settings. What happens is that people accept it and it becomes a norm and the definition of privacy changes. There, remember there's a big uproar about the news feed when it first came out that being able to know what your friends were doing, that what, was, what others were writing on their wall, that that was so, sort of okay but to have it syndicated so that you could read it on your phone at any moment, that, that seemed a real transgression years ago, and now everybody accepts that. And so the, the same thing's true with video cameras, networked video cameras. We now got augmented reality goggles. All of these threats to what we used to know as privacy have been coming for a while, and, and for the most part, people have not been interested in them until it's kind of too late. So. I, I'm more of a, a pessimist about the privacy stuff. You know, I live in California, for example, where the, the state legislature has failed three times to pass a, a bill just making it an opt-out, no, an opt-in for bank customers. The big banks in California can sell your data to, to anyone um, legitimately, and it's buried somewhere on the eighth page of your, your phone bill how to have to opt out of it. But you know, there will always be more force concentrated on, on keeping the ability to exploit privacy uh, legitimate than there are for the, the, the people who object to it, or, or that's the way it appears. So I think the one place where there is leverage is all of the people who don't know that they can turn off some of those things in Facebook. They may be tracked by others. No matter what, what you do, if your phone is on, no matter whether you're talking to someone, someone with the right amount of power can get to you and know exactly where you are in an instant. That's just a, a reality. Video cameras recognize who people are. That's the world we live in. In the world online, there are at least some choices about how much you are disclosing about yourself. I think the fundamental issue is how much you know about what you're disclosing. I left the book with the sense of there being kind of a digital imperative that those of us who are becoming familiar with these technologies 
need to be talking about how to use them in intelligent, humane, and mindful ways, and then really helping to spread that word so that we establish uh, early on or as early as we can uses that will sort of perpetuate through um, the online uh, sort of the online world we live in for the next decades. I, you know, I think that that we are at a moment where um, the amount of cluefulness um, can make a difference. I think that the the reaction to the SOPA and, and PIPA online that actually changed the way Congress was going to pass a law is a sign that there is some leverage there. You notice I'm very, being very careful of, uh, about my language here because I don't want to try to come off as techno-utopian. I'm, I'm sort of a techno-realist. Techno, the how do you do the best you can given the circumstances? And I also think that the circumstances are pretty good for the knowledgeable. I mean, it's more than pretty good. It's a, it's a mind amplifier. It's a, a collective intelligence. There's a, a positive side to all of this that, that I really derived from Tim O'Reilly's Architectures of Participation when he talked about the way the web affords the, the accretion of useful public goods that are useful to everybody through self-interested acts. Every time we, we make a link or we, we curate something on, on a blog or with a curation tool, every time we add a little bit of an intelligence to that flow of information out there, we are increasing the capability of the commons to provide uh, value to ourselves. Although I'll have to say, I was just I was just looking at stuff that I wrote in 1994 about the first spammers and our, our worst nightmares back, back then in 1994 about where this would lead to have been surpassed. And the counter spam has done a pretty good job of keeping it out of our face. But it's a, it's a whole tragedy of the commons that we're seeing unfold. Let's jump into the five fundamental literacies. Your goal here is to help identify what we can do to empower individuals and improve the digital culture for everybody. Um, you know, one of the first things that occurred to me looking at the five digital literacies is, uh, fundamental literacies was, um, how important it's going to be to help educators feel an understanding of these themselves in their own lives for them to be able to communicate it to students. This all started for me, started thinking about a, a prescriptive book when I was first started teaching students. So um, the, we're all faced with uh, the dilemma between the attraction that social media has on our attention and, and other things, such as our need to focus for the next 20 minutes, or that's my child speaking to me, I probably should put the, the Blackberry down. There are attention issues that, that permeate our lives. But in the classroom, you stand up and you see the students. You know, in fact, I've got a picture of that with their, with their um, permission. I. Uh, took videos of my students. This is really, you can tell, the early years of my teaching because the, the chairs weren't in a circle yet. So I, I um, realized that they didn't know what it looked like from where I stood looking at them, looking at their laptops. So I made a movie of them. And then I put a camera at the back of the room, again with their permission, 